Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Catholic Stuff You Should Know, Deacon Jacob. Here's Father Mike. That was pretty phony. That was pretty like broadcaster voice I came on with. What? I'm I not too. Cool. I don't know. That was a little um, something. A I'm still little figuring out what I want to do. Um, How's Sean start his? Professional or whatever. Sean. Uh, Father, same Father thing. Sean. Father Sean always. Hello, everybody. Hello. <laughs> well, welcome. No, I don't remember. <laughs> so, yeah, welcome to the podcast. We're glad you're here spending your morning, afternoon, or evening with us. Uh, we are recording round two. Last week or two weeks ago, we had uh, Soto Voce part two. Finished that up. Kind of a walk through the mass in uh, prayers mm-hmm. that most people didn't normally get. So that was that was good for me. Uh, Thank you. When I'm curious to know if you asked people, when you hear Catholic stuff, you should know what immediately comes to mind. Hopefully, you know? do you think it's the jingle? Because we don't always get the jingle on this side. Yeah. Hello, Mary. There's Welcome. Mary Rogers. <laughs> She's like the queen, queen bee, and the saint, the greatest saint of Our Lady of Lourdes <laughs> Parish. This early shout out as she she walked in. Uh, Good to see, <laughs> Good to see, <laughs> see, we are recording live. This is uh, this is live and in the wild, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, <laughs> we're in a house right now, like a rectory house. So, um, yeah. So, I don't even know where I was. Uh, still flustered. I'm mostly flustered because I'd say twenty something of the the last forty eight hours, maybe seventy two hours. Now I've been working to finalize my. STB thesis for the seminary. Oh, yeah. So my brain um, has been entirely focused on that, and then I turned it in this afternoon, and I just dropped. And and my first instinct was like, I need to go veg out. Like, I need to stop focusing. Yeah. Because that's just, I felt like I was so so focused, Um, which is not always the best. You got to want to find a good leisure, not just like... (laughs) fall into it can be the crazy just thing. crash um, but i did i spent monday was basically eight hours straight writing and Ooh-wee. revising and then um kind of touching it up for another three or four hours tuesday and then yesterday was really just formatting footnoting so it was a lot a lot easier but um, do you have a um a locale do you go to a coffee shop and what what kind of do you listen to music or you put on noise cancelers or depends i <laughs> i'm um somewhat like you maybe a little sporadic mm-hmm. by nature i actually get uh, very uncomfortable being in the same place for too long okay uh and that even ha- happens with like studying there was one day i was working on my thesis i started i went and visited father peter sersich up in boulder and uh assisted at the mass sunday night um maybe two months ago and so spent the night up there monday Woke up, did a little bit of work, hung out with him and Father Peter Musset, had some coffee, just chatted about stuff. And then I headed to a coffee shop in Boulder, worked for maybe an hour, and then drove all the way down to Littleton, different coffee shop, outdoor spot that I like, worked for another maybe two and a half hours. And that was a delightful one because it's like, it's middle of the day and this it's right on the um, Platte Park Trail, bike trail, and there was like this... I think I might have mentioned it on the podcast at some point, but there was this uh, um, bike club. There had to be 45 of them. And they were all like, 
over 60 uh, biking on the trail and stopped at this coffee shop to get stuff. And there's just this one really endearing guy. Cause the, the one, the one lady who was kind of in charge of it all was like, all right, we're done. We're going, we're going to take a group photo and we're going to get back on the way. And this guy just looks at me with like super puppy dog eyes. He's like, but I just got my gluten-free sandwich. <laughs> and I felt so bad for him. He's like, I just sat down oh, to eat guy. and we got to get going again. Oh, so I went Even there. the detail of the gluten-free. <laughs> <I know. laughs> um, so I worked there for a while, and then I came back, uh, worked at the house. What's my, your my drink? Room. So when I'm working, yeah, typically tea. Okay. Depending, mint uh, teas usually keeps me alert. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I kind of jump around, go to different spots. The last three days, I there we had one of the rooms that's open over at the seminary house. And I, so since it was an open room, I just set up on the desk and was able to spread out all my, you know, notes from my thesis advisors, books that I needed to reference could all just kind of be spread. Yeah. And then I could just type away and it was, nothing else was there to distract me. So that was really good. Just um, in the zone. But it really, yeah, it really depends. Uh, work. How about you? I like to spread out. So that's important for me. <clears throat> I, so I, I, I like to, to work at my kitchen table so I can spread out. Um, also, I go to a coffee shop. That's nice to just, I don't know, the, the energy is different there. Um, it changes the way that you're thinking. It, either like you're in this tunnel vision, sometimes is helpful. Other times you just want to kind of have um, people milling about and little things to kind of step out of the head and then you can have like a little more space. I don't know how, yeah. how to describe it any differently. Um, but your mind can go different places mm-hmm. in those different settings. So I, I have uh, different ways. I usually listen to chill hop. Uh, <laughs> it's just chill hop or the, uh, the Catholic lo-fi is one that I'll put, yes. put on lo-fi um, depending on what I'm doing. I cannot do lyrics when right. I'm thinking it, they just distract me too much. So it's always got to be instrumental. Sometimes, uh, orchestral works but even that can be a little too detailed and and mm-hmm. kind of variant uh kind of pulls you out distracts you catches you with something but yeah a lot of the the simpler uh kind of mellow piano or something yeah something yeah that, that's not distracting yeah. there was a guy in rome at one point who he he said the best thing to listen to is um the soundtracks of movies and I tried that, totally distracting to me. <laughs> I'm just envisioning the movie the whole yeah. time. I do, every if, if I really just need to crank stuff out, I will put on the Limitless soundtrack because it's really kind of like a stress-inducing high-energy soundtrack. I don't know if you've seen the movie Limitless. Uh-uh. The whole premise, there's like some drug that unlocks the extra 90% of your brain you don't use. I mean, that movie's been made 30 times, right. but this one particularly. Um, and but the soundtrack is just like this really like charging, uh, upbeat, but it almost, almost like, uh, stress or anxiety inducing. Cause yeah. it's just like, you're going, but I love it. Cause I just, I put it on and it's when I just need to like crush a task Yeah, because I just feel I'm like, I'm the limitless guy. I can do anything. I'm <laughs> yeah. That urgency, that energy. Um, okay. So what's the STB and what's the STB thesis? So STB is the Sacred Theology Baccalaureate or Sacred Theology, right? Yeah. Uh, so Baccalaureate of Sacred Theology. So it's the degree uh, through the pontifical colleges, um, the ones I I don't even know how that would be described. Um, the the 
Catholic colleges sanctioned by the Vatican. The They're Vatican. the Pope's colleges. Pope's colleges. Or the um, ones that are sponsored by them. So here in the U.S., we have your your bachelor's degree, which is your baccalaureate. It's your first first level degree. Then we have a master's, and then you'll have a doctorate. Um, mm-hmm. So the kind of the European Pontifical University Catholic version is the STB, Sacred Theology Baccalaureate. So it's kind of the first, first level degree, um, which I would say is actually probably like a step up from the American bachelor's yeah, degree. So in, in Europe, you can, you do the first degree that would be called a, like a college degree is more just general education. Yeah. So then the baccalaureate, this one, which is not equivalent to the bachelor's here, it'd be more like a master's here because it's specialized. Yeah. So this one is spe- specifically theology, theology rather than just like higher education generally. Yeah. And then arts or something. in the U S you have kind of the master's degree, um, which we get also a master's in divinity uh, through our local um, U.S. accreditation because we're duly accredited at the seminary. So, yeah, it's kind of that master's level. Yeah. And then uh, there's a sacred theology licentiate, which is like the next level up. So if this is the first kind of level in the, the pontifical colleges, that'd be like their master's level. But again, a little bit more specialized yeah. even than a master's, but they also have the doctorate. Right. Um, so they're... More or less similar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I, yeah, sure. But they're different for sure. It's, there's kind of like masters yeah. in between masters and doctorate and then doctorate. Yeah. So uh, I'm getting whatever this uh, sort of master's degree is. Yeah, it's is. a master's in <laughs> divinity. Um, do you remember writing yours? Do you remember what you wrote yours on? I wrote my thesis on Sabbath and um, rest as a... Um, what was the what's the function of the Sabbath as a ritual within Israel, um, Jewish religion, Old Testament, uh, with its meaning, and then in the Christian practice? So um, the practical aspect lends toward a, um, a kind of theological and formative um, character. So it's a space for peace, and it's also a um, a kind of space for discernment of um how to glorify god and how to live one's life and so it was yeah around sabbath and it's kind of a phenomenology of sabbath which is means just like instead of finding a specific definition you're talking like trying to describe everything related to it the experience of the sabbath yeah like that and what the uh kind of the yeah the lived essence of it Mm -hmm. rather than just the kind of cold dissected uh, parts yeah yeah yeah, yeah. alive <laughs> dynamic well i i'm edified that years on from that you can still describe it uh, oh yeah pretty well i loved it and it was a fun project to do it's been important for my own spirituality and um and then yeah i'm proud of it as a a work of an academic an intellectual work mm. a, a production and i mean i'm speaking to the choir here, but <laughs> you spend four years receiving so much, learning so much, receiving information, and then to be able to produce something yep. is really edifying. Yeah, having something physical, tangible in your hands that with all its flaws <laughs> still came uh, came together. So um, I just finished mine. I will probably have a few revisions, little edits before I, um, 
It's, we we self-publish them into the library at the seminary. Oh yeah, they're bound um, and then they're entered into the seminary. So at this point, it's still uh, still unpublished, and then um, very soon it will be published on a very 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 limited release. But I just wanted you all to know that Father John's not the only one who wrote a book this year. <laughs> oh nice. Mine's only thirty-two pages, <laughs> double spaced. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find it in, uh, you cannot find it on Amazon yet. You cannot find it you on Amazon. You can find it. You can, uh, if you sneak your way into the, the library. Cardinal uh, Stafford Theological Library. Um, so I titled mine and just came up with the title of the day based on my, uh, kind of my last sentence of the thing. Mm-hmm. But I called it Fount of Living Water, the Holy Spirit as Source and Guide of True Renewal. Nice. Okay. So uh, I don't specifically want this podcast to be like, what did I do? What's my thesis? What's the, the topic? I'd, I'd rather let it be a launching point to just talk with you about the Holy Spirit, about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in the life of the church, in the life of Christians and as renewal. Um, but can I ask go ahead. before, um, just about the title yeah. before you get into a description, I don't want to just sidetrack it with questions <laughs> the, the whole time, please, whatever. But, um, the font of life, um, is this, are you using the image from the Eucharistic prayer? I didn't actually uh, quote the Eucharistic prayer. What I'm tying is um, from the woman at the well, mm-hmm. where Jesus says, uh, I will give you uh, living water. Yeah. And then um, that the Holy Spirit is called in the gospel. Jesus clarifies. He says, and the Holy Spirit is um, uh, in chapter seven, he clarifies that, the Holy Spirit is the water. Mm. Um, so that's kind of a John chapter four and then John chapter seven is the principal scripture uh, passages that St. Augustine will use to describe um, gift as a proper name for the Holy Spirit because mm. it is given. And yeah. so it ties that uh, he makes a connection that he says, I will give you water, living water, and you shall never thirst. Um, in and then in chapter seven, he says, "Yes, this water is the Holy Spirit. Yeah, um, this stream of life is the Holy Spirit." And so Augustine puts that together and says, "Okay, the the water, which is the Holy Spirit, is the water given, which is the water to everlasting life." Um, and so, spoiler: the last sentence is the only source of unity and renewal in which the church may hope. The unity and renewal in the Holy Spirit, the fount of living water, which Christ gives the Christian to drink unto everlasting life. Yeah. Very um, nice. So, so I'll make reference to the, um, to the Eucharistic prayer. Number two, Eucharistic prayer two starts in right away with, um, asking the Holy spirit who is the fountain of life, mm. um, to, um, come down upon these gifts like the dew fall. Mm. So it's like kind of a, from below and above just getting yeah. swamped, <laughs> which is a, which is an image, um, of, kind of how the, the floods was, would have been. The rains were coming down, but these, these fountains from the earth were flowing forth. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Deluge. Like um, there are, I have, uh, like, four other thesis ideas that came about while I was just preparing this, and I have to stay on Good. one. So, one, this one Write kind of, those down, by the way. Yeah, you know, revisit keep, them. Yeah, write, write that stuff down them. the road. Um, but the basic structure uh, that I'm talking about, as I say, we're all talking about renewal. Everybody wants renewal. Mm-hmm. Everybody's talking about renewal. Um, and my, my kind of 
cheeky line in the introduction. You're talking about the church. The church. Or not not individually or society. I'm talking specifically talking about the about church. is okay. talking about renewal right now. Um, but people all over the church, on all sides, with all different ideas about renewal, okay. are talking about renewal. And I'm like, everybody's talking about renewal, and a lot of these ideas seem to be con- uh, conflicting with one another, um, couldn't actually happen together. Mm. So I wanted to situate the conversation around church renewal in light of the Holy Spirit, who is this fount of life, who is the source of the Holy Spirit at the beginning at Pentecost. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the source of kind of the Christian mission. Mm. Uh, the Holy Spirit incorporates us into Christ uh, through baptism, through the sacraments. And so really to talk about what the church is, what, what the church, who the church is, mm what her mission is and what her end is. If we don't have those things down, um, renewal's pointless. What are we renewing to? Yeah. We, now we're just in a, a, let's do a revolution to change it. Let's renew it to a time when it was in the past. Let's renew it to a future utopia that we kind of make up on our own. Like mm. Detached from the reality of what the church actually is, the body of Christ who is the head, uh, infused by the one spirit to the soul of the body who is given the mission of Christ to continue the mission in the world with the great commission to go and baptize all nations, baptizing them in the mm. name of the father, son and Holy spirit. Why? What's the end? So that men might participate in divine life so that the kingdom of heaven might be come about so that all humanity can be, all creation can be drawn back to the Father. Mm. This is the end. So we've got the, the kind of the eschatological, the end, the parousia, the time when Christ comes again, and the final uh, kind of moments of history before it has moved entirely into eternity. The church, that is its end. And in the interim, it's doing what Christ did when he was here because the church is the continuation of his body. Mm. Um, the church has recognized herself as the sacrament of Christ. Uh, the church herself is the visible image of Christ in the world. Um, and I think if we don't have those things in mind, our conversations about renewal make no real sense. And so my, like I said, my cheeky line is renewal is mere renewal is formless and void. Yes. Calling back to Genesis. That's where my mind went. Yeah. When, uh, everything was formless and void and the Ruach, that's right. The spirit, breath, wind of God hovered over the waters, yeah. the formless void, and then things are created and informed and yeah. brought to order. And the whole Genesis creation story, which I don't get into this particularly this part, but is uh, in the Hebrew mind building the temple. Uh, the creation the story of creation builds a temple. And so this ordering, this informing of the church even then yeah. is kind of happening. And then you have these images of the way that so the spirit of the lord rested over the waters and then god said let there be light and yep. he speaks everything into brain yep. being <sighs> yeah <sighs> you know the, blow, the word the, the, yeah the, the word blowing the life into the world and order and creation and then of course adam he's put to sleep and then uh he made yeah. formed from the dust and then god blew his spirit into him and gave yeah. him life and those are both yeah images of of vitality of life of um coming into being mm-hmm. by ver- by through through this holy spirit and what's beautiful this this hebrew word ruach means breath spirit 
uh, wind. Wind, yeah. Those are the, the principal three words. And so I draw the connection uh, in the in the paper to Christ in the upper room after the resurrection breathes on the apostles and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And so this breath again, this breath of God is the gift of the Holy Spirit breathed out. And so the breath, the wind is at creation in Genesis. And then the breath in the gospel of John is the imparting of the Holy Spirit to the apostles. And then in Luke and Acts, we get the Pentecost story with the wind comes mm-hmm. and the Holy Spirit comes down. So we, again, we have the breath and wind, mm-hmm. Holy Spirit, at the new creation, at the point after the resurrection, when Christ creates the church, instills the church to be his sacramental image into the world, to perpetuate his mission into the world. And I just, I love that connection. And then here's one other little nugget that I didn't even mention in here. But what is... Um, I guess what is what is the the procession of the third person of the Trinity? What would we call the procession? So we talk God the Father is the source, the unbegotten Father, um, who is the source of the Son. He is the Father of the um, begotten, not made Son from mm-hmm. all eternity. And so there's this relation of paternity and sonship, filiation. What is the relation of the Spirit, the third person? What's his relation to the Father and the Son? How do we describe that kind of traditionally? I've heard the love between the Father and the Son. Is that part of it? That's part of it. And so you get this sense of uh, the Father and the Son face to face. And again, you have this moment of breath, the breath between the two, the shared life. But this shared breathing, the, the Son who is given the ability to give back the spirit uh we call the spiration spiration that's and so this right. is kind yeah, of your yeah. your theolog your theological term is the spiration so you have you have the procession of the son uh, in his sonship in his generation um and then you have the spiration of the holy spirit that's right, from yeah. the father through the son in what we call spiration uh, which has this sense of like breathing the sense of spirit yeah. this kind of intangibility to it but there's a connection. What does that word spiration sound like? Um, well, spiraling, spy, uh, <laughs> inspiring. I like that. Inspire is the one I'm going for. So to inspirate is to, to put in, to, to infuse with the spiration, mm-hmm. to inspirate. Uh, spiratus, uh, spirata, spirator in um, the Latin has the, um, the A definition of to breathe. So the spiratus, this connection with breath, is even here in the language. So an inspiration is to breathe into, and we talk about the scriptures being inspired, right? Mm-hmm. So the inspiration of the scriptures is the word, who's the son, giving the Holy Spirit through this spiration breath into uh, the author, the writer, the human author's kind of mind consciousness. Um, so it's infused. It's not. It's not Christ taking the hand, or, or the second person of the Trinity taking the hand and like shaping right. how He writes every word, but that the the Spirit of God is given into the the author. This inspiration. Yeah. There's a connection there with the Holy even Spirit. what is the creed? It's spoken to the prophets. Yeah. Spoken, you know. It's, so you've got the logos, the word. 
communicated oh by mouth. Yeah. And then that word itself is this breath. And even the word Yahweh is, is the sounds of exhalation and inhalation. Yahweh. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you think of, um, I like the, I like the image of, um, the, well, mouth to mouth resuscitation, <laughs> <laughs> but just because of the renewal, of life. renewal is on my mind yeah. and you can see, yeah, the breath goes out of somebody and then you're stuck, you're frigid, you're frozen, you're lifeless. And then, um, to have someone give you life means that they have to breathe you into being again and, um, kind of communicate their own, um, I don't know, the, 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 that, that kind of gift of life that comes from God in, um, in not only like in a, yeah, so, so you have what? You have life that we receive from, from God and from the Holy Spirit. Then you have like eternal life and spiritual life that comes from the Holy Spirit. So you, you get alive in a new way when you're baptized and you receive the Holy Spirit. Yep. Um, and then you're staying inspired so that Holy Spirit stays within us and then kind mm-hmm. of breathes out of us, yep. like you're saying with the prophets or with the scripture writers, that our life lived as Catholics is um, is this, this kind of life, well, just the way that we use the word colloquially of inspired. Yeah. You're doing ingenious things <laughs> that are spiritual and Jesus-like and um, sometimes we know why we're doing it. Sometimes we don't um, are aware of the Holy spirit, but that same spirit filling us with life and uh, conforming our actions to Christ with its gifts and its fruits. And, um, and then directing, I suppose um, our mission, Mm -hmm. you know, our participation with Jesus, not only in just being alive spiritually, being sons of God um, because we've received his, his spirit, his life but then also the direction of inspiration. Where should I go? What should I do? Yeah. So I, I just want to call back your mention of the Eucharistic prayer because at the end where, where I kind of get to and I, I mention because I basically just survey the Spirit of God in the Old Testament really quickly and then I kind of do dogmatic section on the relations inside the Trinity and then how those relations kind of imminently within the Trinity are seen in salvation history through the action of God. And so it's kind of this economic Mm. Trinity, economic actions reveal to us the inner life of God, ultimately with Christ in the incarnation, passion, death, resurrection, ascension, where he reveals the father and the Holy spirit to us. Um, But we can look back and see, okay, the spirit of God, the Holy spirit was hovering over the water at creation. Holy spirit is the spirit of God rushing over the prophets or King David or, uh, that Moses has upon him and he's able to share with the 72 others. So I kind of look at the back, like mm-hmm. God has been working through his spirit, um, through all of salvation history, but it's kind of particular. It's kind of like this guy, then that guy, then this group of people, but it's kind of even this, this nation of Israel, but even within them, it still seems kind of particular, you know, Moses or David. And then we hit, uh, the time of Christ, the incarnation, and you see the mission of the Holy Spirit really visibly. It's the first time we actually hear him called. Um, well, I guess there's there's three mentions of Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. This is a little Catholic stuff you should know oh. uh, nugget. Um, the three the three mentions where Holy and Spirit are mentioned together is Psalm 51, okay. when King um, David 
is writing his psalm of repentance, and he prays that the Lord not remove his Holy Spirit from him. Mm-hmm. And then the other two times come in, I believe, Isaiah 63 in sequential verses, talking about the Holy Spirit of God that was with the people. Oh, um, okay. And so those are the only two times in the Old Testament where you have the structure of Holy and Spirit together. Yeah, yeah. But you get Spirit of God all the time. You get sure. God is holy. Spirit you know, of the Lord has things. anointed yeah. me. Yeah. Um, but the first time that we get Holy Spirit named, really, is Elijah. Or not, sorry, not Elijah, is um, John the Baptist. John B. Yeah. And, and it's really powerful to me that he's, it's first chapter of Luke, the prophecy to Zechariah of his son, that, you know, your wife will conceive, bear this son, you'll name him John. And it says, John, uh, he will have the Holy Spirit even from within his mother's womb. Mm. And I think it's one, maybe two verses later, it says, and he will go forth in the spirit of Elijah before the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so there's a connection there of the spirit of Elijah is the Holy Spirit. It's the same spirit. Mm. Um, but you're also seeing this connection of like one of the greatest Old Testament prophets to the greatest, the last Old Testament prophet, who's the first of the New Testament, is John the Baptist, who comes in the spirit of Elijah, fulfilling all these prophecies, prophecy of Malachi, that Elijah will come proclaiming uh, in front of the Lord. And then uh, Jesus himself in the Gospel of Matthew says, and if you... Uh, have ears to hear, um, or if you can receive it, he is, John the Baptist is Elijah. Um, So Jesus even makes that connection, right? So you've got this Holy Spirit has been moving throughout, um, and then we enter the church, and the Holy Spirit is given to the church, and the Holy Spirit inspires the church, and the Holy Spirit is continuing and incorporating people into the church. And so the part two of this thesis would move entirely into... um, the kind of the sacramental economy, how the Holy Spirit is being poured out, uh, this fount is being poured out through the Eucharist, through baptism, through anointing, through holy orders, through confirmations. So through you marriage. systematically <coughs> go through the sacraments? I, I would. I, I didn't write that. That would be like the whole, yeah. I didn't get to that. I just yeah, basically yeah, mentioned this is one. 100 page version. Yeah, this is the one, one of the main ways that the Holy Spirit is still acting and the source of renewal is through the sacramental order, mm-hmm. which has been given, which we have. Um, and we can, we can mess it up. We can block it with our own lack of faith or whatever. But the sacraments themselves are given and will work. Um, whether and this is where, this is as you're describing <coughs> the nature of the church, yeah, and and then her function. Yeah. So I talk about the sacramental nature, and then I would go into if I had you know more space and more time, each sacrament as kind of a source of the fount of the Holy Spirit. Um, that kind of be where that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think that you you made that connection of even in the Eucharistic prayer, like yeah. that, that'd be like how I'd start that section, I guess now, <laughs> which is super yeah, cool. and all of the sacraments have. Um, reference i actually you know after all these years of being a priest i was surprised when i was with uh, father dan Eusterman for his doctoral defense in rome um, having dinner with his director and his director just mentioned that all of the sacraments have an epiclesis hmm. and i was like what are you talking about <laughs> and then he described yeah i mean you lay hands on at various um sacraments you um kind of hold your hand up over the penitent for yeah. confession. Um, there's blessing over water, of course. They put the hand into the water. And the hand in the water for baptism. And um, and all of these, yeah, I just never realized. Yeah. I was. I would only think of that for, um, <laughs> you know, baptism 
with chrismation or with the chrism and um, with the epiclesis at mass. But um, yeah, it's not only that, that each of the sacraments involve the Holy Spirit, but have a very formal yeah. kind of referent. Um, here's a question I have for you. If, if it's not going to sidetrack, you can oh, punt on this. But At this point, I'm just riffing. So Okay, so <clears throat> if the Holy Spirit is alive and properly functioning through the sacraments in the church, that hasn't changed and it can't change, you know, regardless mm. of our doing things right, doing things wrong. They're ex opere operatu, which means the sacraments work whether or not, as long as there's valid situations and proper form and matter, it, re- it works regardless of the holiness of its ministers, right? Yeah. Um, so the, the sacraments work. They just they keep the engine of the church running. They they are the structure of the church. They are the life of the church. So, if that's where the Holy Spirit is, and that's what makes up the church, why talk about renewal? You yeah. know what needs to be renewed. It's all there. It's happening. Sometimes I get concerned about this talk of renewal as if we're just unsettled being us. Mm-hmm. You know, and recognizing that God is alive in the church and that. She's on an adventure, and everything is I, everything is running, you know. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm not trying to question whether or not we need <laughs> renewal, but maybe just that that question of if the pieces are there and the and the body itself is set up by God and running, then um, it's not like you can change the sacraments. You know, people might say that, but that, that wouldn't be renewal, you know? Um, but so do, do you yeah. get the, the yeah. kind of concept I'm getting around of like <clears throat> the, you know, the church, if it's life comes from and it's nature comes from the sacraments, then that hasn't changed and it's not compromised up or down. Yeah. And so we're talking here that it's ex opere operato. Um, so because of God's effect, right, that it, it happens. If the sacrament is performed properly um if the if the proper form uh, of words are used and the proper matter so the the proper words from the eucharistic prayer and the bread and the wine are there uh, ex opere operato it becomes the body and blood of jesus christ despite the sinfulness or lack of belief or whatever um, in the people or in the priest yeah so the holy spirit does its thing yep (laughs) you know what i mean and then, so does that need any renewal? I would say no. And then the other one is the ex opere operantis, right? And so I was talking in the last podcast about meritorious good works. So somebody who has more faith, has more love, um, has more devotion, operates better, <laughs> will receive more grace and more grace will flow forth from his life or her life uh, in her actions. Um, the reception of the sacrament, even though the sacrament itself happens. So in baptism, um, if baptism is properly done in the Trinitarian form. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That person's baptized. That person is sealed. The effects of original sin are wiped away. Um, the uh, life of the Holy Spirit, the life of Christ is given to the soul. They're incorporated into the church. They become uh, sons or daughters of God. All these things that happen. 
And yet there's something about our dispositional readiness. And so the Holy Spirit's like ready to pour out his grace. And yet we can be dispositionally uh, closed off to it. Mm. And I was talking actually with Father Daniel uh, Eusterman, and we were trying to come up with some ideas around, you know, analogies for it. And analogies always fall a little short. But kind of the first analogy I thought of was um, if somebody comes and gives you a wrapped gift, and you say, oh, thanks, that's awesome. And then you just kind of put it in the closet without unwrapping it and kind of forget about it. Um, I think that's kind of the image of the the child who's baptized, who is baptized in the faith of the the parents, the godparents in the church. Um, but then because the family doesn't really live or practice the faith, doesn't teach, doesn't go to the church, uh, whatever it may be, this child's been given this gift He's received it. He really has it. It's really his. It's in his closet. Um, but in a sense, it's unopened. It's unwrapped. It's un. Unpl- yeah. It's unused. Unused. Unenjoyed. So that's kind of the first sense that maybe something might be mm. be um, really happened. The sacrament really was effective, and yet it's. I I haven't even become aware of what I've been given. Mm. Um, so that's kind of the state of of that type of person. Yeah. Another example might be. Um, that I see practically in my own life and experiences with confessions is a pretty obvious ex- mm. um, example for me of you come in, you express your sorrow and um, in your contrition and you confess your sins. So the stuff is there, your contrition and your sins and your, you, you and, um, and then the priest gives absolution. Your sins are forgiven everything's everything's forgiven whether or not you have perfect contrition but we talk about better or like greater or lesser contrition Mm -hmm. if you are really moved by a grace or the circumstances of your life to really feel sorry in a profound way that sometimes that sacrament is going to have um a more profound effect on your behavior going forward your sense of god's mercy and his love your reception of um that grace it's not whether or not your sins are forgiven, but yeah. it can be the power of that sacrament. Um, yeah. And the amount of grace with which you can receive from it. So you have the grace of the sins are forgiven, you know, but you could have the grace uh, somehow of like this, this amazingly powerful contrition and penance that begins to kind of eradicate the consequences of past sins and reorder your life and your soul in love and order to God that could just really radically transform you yeah. in like one moment. Profound healing. I've yeah. seen people who are just like restored, renewed, alive, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and, that, and, and that's not to say that you shouldn't confess if you're not feeling, <laughs> you know, feeling something yeah. powerful. Yeah. And that, that's even the point is like, you know, we are at different places in our life. Mm-hmm. Sacraments work regardless. So yeah. you go and you confess and you feel that, that sorrow, even if it's not, mm-hmm. you know, more feels like a more profound moment than others. Yeah. But those come too, yeah. you know. And we And think, that's like education on the Eucharist. The more you know about yeah. it, yep. the more profoundly you can um, receive and know what it's doing in your life and appreciate it and participate be and be aware of what what is happening at the mass. So I think maybe those are the those are the spaces for the renewal. Yeah. Is that right? Well, it's like Yeah, so I think that the last part is um the the Catholic baptized kind of going through the motions, doing the right things. Uh, generally present, um, you know, makes makes regular pretty good confessions, goes to mass, receives, um, 
but is very, very distracted by the world, um, by other, uh, I don't know, other, other goods, other things that are maybe have been placed in a higher place than they should be. An image of this is like somebody who, whose hands are full of a bunch of things. Like if you want to make it a bit of a, more of a, a direct analogy, somebody who's went to a thrift shop and just bought a whole bunch of junk because it was 50 cent Saturday or whatever. And their hands are just full of it. Cause like, look, I can get that. I can get that. I can get that. This is kind of fun. This is a broken yo-yo. This is, you know, whatever it might be, but my hands are full mm. and I, I love these things. And it's, it's not that they're like necessarily terrible, but I'm, I'm loving them more than I should love other things. Mm. And then somebody comes with like this really sweet gift and says, Hey, I want to give you this. And you're like, Oh, cool. Thanks. Thanks for offering me that gift. Or thanks for even giving it to me. Like, he's like, no, it's yours. Like, I don't even think it's mine yet, but my hands are full. Yeah. I can't receive it. My hands are full because I've got all these other things that I've filled it with. And I think that's where renewal comes is mm-hmm. I filled my life with other loves and innocence, place them before God, place them before the higher goods, place them before the goods of contemplation or whatever it might be. Um, I'm living kind of, the sacramental order and that's good, but I'm not really disposing myself. I'm not preparing myself well to receive. I'm not leaving space to be able to receive because my hands are full uh, with all these other distractions. And so that's where the renewal comes. We're not going to, the sacraments don't change. Sacraments are what Mm -hmm. they are. They're instituted by Christ. They're in the tradition of the church. Um, Anybody who thinks renewal comes from changing the tradition, you're not talking about renewal. You're talking about break like total breach and restructure or something. That's mm-hmm. not renewal. That's something entirely different. That's destruction and revolution and then building something else in your image. Yeah. And the problem is not with the religion Jesus set up and the no. sacraments Jesus set up. If there's problems, it's with you know the hearts of the people or the culture of the church. Or So do you diagnose that? Like if, if we're talking about the church as the body of Christ mm-hmm. and if she's in need or he's, he it is in need of renewal, say the body is anemic. What, what specifically do you think is, you know, the condition that the Holy Spirit is going to on the brink of inviting us, asking us to welcome him for renewal? Is it, um, you know, is it a, a, a paucity of, faith like not enough trust in god and it's threatened by our time and our kind of secular environment is it hope we're in despair and um just don't expect the things to be going well and moving forward and hopeful uh is it love um (laughs) there's broken community um tribalism hatred you know what i mean yeah Uh, i just use faith hope and love but i don't know if you had sort of diagnostic interest in this paper of like here's what the holy spirit is going to heal yeah, I didn't necessarily diagnose what the Holy Spirit was going to heal. Um, I did broadly diagnose, I, I used the image of the vine. Um, okay. And so if you remain in the, on, if, if Jesus is the, the vine and we're the branches, if we remain attached to him, to his vine, we will bear good fruit. It's from scripture, that's a promise. Mm. If you remain attached to the vine, you will bear good fruit. You might be pruned, might hurt a little bit, but you're going to bear good fruit. If you are not bearing good fruit, you are detaching yourself from your vine. You're dying. You've become dead. Uh, You're either going to fall off the vine 
or the vine dresser is going to cut you off mm. <laughs> because it's unhealthy for the plant. So on a human level, I think one of the things of renewal is things that are not of God, things that are um, truly just innovations uh, or destructions um, from who the church really is. That's why I started with who the church is, is kind of the first focus of any conversation of renewal. Mm. On a human kind of institutional level, part of renewing who the church is, and that's the whole argument, is there's not a renewal other than going to the original source, which is the Holy Spirit, which is Christ, you know. Um, so going to that source, uh, what isn't part of the vine has to be pulled away. At the same time, we've got another analogy of the weeds and the wheat grow together and will only be pruned or only be separated after the the threshing. Mm. And so I think that happens, um, obviously that happens at the end of time. Uh, There will be the the ultimate separating of the weeds from the wheat. But I think that happens cyclically. And I think we've seen that in the past where we talk about church renewal or uh, tragedy or crisis in the church, and then there's renewal that happens. I think there's times where um, kind of the, the crop grows to maturation is harvested um, and things get separated out. And so if that's what we're talking about, I think there's Mm -hmm. renewal there kind of on uh, a renewal, which doesn't, again, it doesn't change, but it separates the weeds, gets rid of the weeds. And then we move. And this happens. This is the councils, uh, the the early church councils that you have heresy has grown up along with true faith. And then eventually through the councils, um, it's harvested. The weeds are thrown out. And the true doctrine, true mm. Orthodox faith is put in the storehouse of tradition. And we continue oh, on. Cool. So we have looking at so the there's, councils, yeah. there's a bit of like councils are a moment of renewal. And the cool thing about councils traditionally, there's like 60 to a hundred years of just total chaos and figuring out what the council was doing and saying after every council. And we're in that phase after Vatican II. So this council that everybody's still fighting about, we're still Mm. figuring out, right? We're still within that normal cycle of figuring out what this really means for the church. And, and I think we're hopefully coming to the end of that, but it's, it's messy. And there's a lot of, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of weeds with the wheat as well. So that's one source of, or idea of renewal. Then the other is that, uh, the renewal and devotion and sanctity. And so the, I was going to say like, yeah, how do we get there? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, I, quote John Paul II uh, towards the end, and he just says that, um, let me see if I can find it. He says, men and women saints have always been the source and origin of renewal in the most difficult circumstances of church's history. Uh, This was in Christofidelis Leici. So this is his address in 1988 about the Christian lay faithful. He says, the holy men and women Men and women saints have always been the source of renewal. Well, what is a saint? Somebody who has received through baptism, through the sacraments, the life of God within them, the Holy Spirit within them. And then saints have particular charism. They receive particular gifts. Because they've given themselves over in an entrustment, uh, in a a self-gift to the will of the Father through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's gifts can now become active in them. I'm not holding on to my will. Of, this is how I will change the church. This is how I will change the world. This is how I will change my life, my family, whatever. I'm holding on to all these different things. I say, I have received this Holy Spirit. I've received the storehouse of graces. And now the Holy Spirit's going to work in me. And this is where uh, 
St. Paul talks about the, the charisms, the many diverse charisms that are given from administrating to teaching to preaching to great works to healing to prophecy to all these different charisms that the Holy Spirit uh, gives for the upbuilding of the church with the caveat. They're always for the upbuilding of the church. Mm-hmm. So the individual person who's a part of the church, a member of the one body, are given particular charisms to grow, to enter more strongly into this life of grace for the upbuilding of the church. In this sense, it's almost like, um, you know, if, it's, if the church is sickly, you know, the, the white blood cells need to be <laughs> re- reproduced. Mm. So it's like the saints are almost like the white blood cells who are uh, disposed to, to receive uh, what they need to go fight the battle with. But what it is, it's, it's their own sanctity that is transforming the church. Mm. And so it's, it's not a structural reform. Structural reform comes kind of after the fact, but the structural reform is not the, the source. Mm. It's not like we change the structure and then all of a sudden people are being saints. It's people are receiving the Holy Spirit actively into their life. They're becoming more and more images of Christ. And then with that within the church, those small local renewals, it's always been small. It's always been the poor. It's always been the weak. It's always been the ones who uh, nobody would expect um, who Christ raises up to shame the pride, prideful, to humble the, the arrogant. Um, and so I think that's, we can talk about a renewal there, but that renewal is again, it's not, it's not this big structural thing. It's not like I get yeah. the system right. It's not that I get the, the theology right. And then we fall. It's like, no, we, we get the conformity to Christ in faith and hope and love. Right. That person's life grows in holiness that infects other people in a, in a positive sense. And you see it throughout the church. Like you get these pockets of saints. It's, it's rare to have one saint alone. You usually have a couple saints together. Yeah, that's cool. And you see what they do to transform the world. That's the renewal kind of through the individual members, re, kind of revigorating the body, the one body. But the body is Christ's body, so it can't fail. It's not dead. It's not going to die. The gates of heaven or gates of hell will not prevail against it. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is given to it, is the one spirit of the one body of the church. Yeah, and if if she's kind of tired or bored or restless, um, she can be alive <laughs> or the body of, you know, the church, but not necessarily as um, fruitful in the world mm-hmm. and, you know, doing the work of Christ. So this, this is the hope. Anytime we talk about renewal, we're talking about the church who, like you said, is alive, is functioning, um, but kind of directed at its proper yeah. end and, um, and then having that vigor and that energy yeah. and that that drive and that uh, life and that delight and all of the things that we associate with life uh, and inspiration. And um, I like that you've chosen, I think it's really timely, like part of this project is reading the signs of the time and saying, mm-hmm. well, which image of the church should we use? The church has various um, ways of looking at what is the church. And... And and then you know what is what is needed for that um, the kind of life as the church that we ought um, we ought to be for this moment, right? Yeah. And I think you're totally right. That is that the the best image for the church right now is the body of Christ, rather than like the bark of Peter or the um, uh, the people on a journey. Or um, there's all kinds of I mean. 
you can look at uh, what is it, Lumen Gentium for mm-hmm. various um, aspects of the church. Uh, but it's really that grassroots thing of um, kind of personal. It, it involves all of the members, like you're saying, the, the cells, and uh, that really the, the renewal of the church is going to come from, and the place where the Holy Spirit is operative and should be invited is in the hearts of all the faithful and uh, toward sanctity. And that maybe, you know, fault me for being um, uh, democratic, but <laughs> I think, I tend to think of if everybody's on board doing the same thing, the machine is working really well yeah. rather than get some decisions on the top right and then, you know, fa- things fall into place. Um, that tends yeah. to be, you know, uh, monarchical or fascist or whatever. <laughs> so um, there's something grassroots that you described. And I, I agree. I think this is not, there are times in the history of the church where renewal means sorting out the doctrine properly and deliberating on that. And obviously some of us who are scholars, for example, are very interested in doctrine and precision and everything. But I don't think we're wayward in any terrible way. And I think for the most part, we do have things in order um, in terms of doctrine. Like there's not heresy rampant in the church, but people are concerned about that because they Mm -hmm. see something's wrong. um, And then they'll say, okay, well, it's this or that. Like you mentioned at the beginning, there's calls for renewal. I don't think it's like at at the end of the day, we're getting liturgy right or wrong. Um, and we need to make, you know, some sort of, I don't think it's, we have the right leaders. We don't have the right leaders. I think it's, it's just an opportunity to invite the Holy spirit to sanctify. Let's get yeah. saints. What's missing? Saints. What's missing is the <laughs> saints, you know, the holiness. And that's much harder to measure. Mm-hmm. It's much harder to do. Like yeah. I can practically actually go build a church I could go write an article to argue certain Mm -hmm. theology, but the sanctity is almost a receptive thing and it's a slow work and it's hard to judge. So it's probably the hardest, but I agree it's the most needed. It's hard to tell like in this moment, am am I a saint? Is that person a saint? Or, you know, it's, it's in hindsight, we name somebody a saint that we look at their life. We look at, uh, intercession through, um, through prayers after their their death. So there's even the sense of like, can we be sure? Can we know? And it's like, well, we can know because Christ said the church will not fail. Yeah. <laughs> um, but with that, then where's our Christian hope come? And then are we seeking sanctity? And so then, yeah, the, the holy, when, when holy people uh, are inviting the Holy Spirit into their decisions and guiding, these restructures can be good. And, and we've, we've done, I think, a lot of good things uh, in the face of challenges that have faced the church, scandals that have faced the church, we've we've had to make some some changes to structures and systems and things, and I think those are generally good. Um, time will tell if other things need to be changed or if we overreacted in one area or another. But whatever it might be, um, those those happen because people are trying to follow Christ and follow the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit does operate out of administration. It's a charism. Mm-hmm. So those who are administrating, those who are ruling, um, you know, a good pastor that actually is receiving this charism and guiding his church, like that's a source of the Holy Spirit bringing sanctity into his community, his parish, his own life, uh, his vicars, um, every one of the faithful. Um, so I think. But all of those charisms, you know, that you mentioned, if everyone is alive, 
with their own yeah. gifts, God-given gifts, yeah. not great ideas. Yeah. They're God-given, God-given gifts. gifts. Then the, the church would j- yeah. just thrives. It's not the know. foot trying to be the knee, trying to be the eye, yeah. trying to be the mouth. It's like right. if, if we just receive our charism, our gift, and live in that and let the Holy Spirit use it, like the body's going to be healthy and yeah. vivacious. I just want to use the word vivacious there. Vivacious, so. <laughs> dude. Vi- vive it. Um, but then the, the leadership um, can go wrong if it's like everybody needs to be a foot right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, okay, <laughs> let the Holy Spirit work. Let yeah. the, and, and maybe as, as uh, looking down the road, I think we've had a discussion this last Lord's Day about the pastor's work being a, di- a work of discernment and helping mm-hmm. people to discern their own gifts. Where is the Holy Spirit working in my parish yeah. and among my people? And how can I help them to see that and then to live out of that I- inspiration? Mm-hmm. And Father Jason Wunsch is really good at this. So we were <laughs> praising him and listening to his wisdom at um, Lord's Day. But I, I really loved that sense. It got me excited about church life and parish life. Yeah. Um, so finally, uh, I've got this, this last one for you. I'm pretty sure it's from the catechism. Yes. Uh, at, G- at last, Jesus' hour arrives. He commends his spirit into the Father's hands at the very moment when by his death he conquers death so that raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, he might immediately give the Holy Spirit by breathing on his disciples. The mission of Christ and the Spirit become the mission of the church. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. Um, I love this image of Christ at the cross. His hour has come, dies, gives his spirit up to the Father, rises from the dead, breathes the Holy Spirit over the disciples, and then he says, uh, as the Father has sent me, even so I send you. Go and make disciples. <laughs> Go mm. and make disciples. Mm-hmm. Um, the mission of Christ and the Holy Spirit is the mission of the church. Uh, it's kind of always being renewed. So if the mission of the church is the mission of Christ, what, what do we want to be seeing? How do we want to say, like, yeah, we're on mission? <laughs> how, how, how would we assess that? And I'm thinking of somebody in Christ's time uh, who was having similar questions. Um, John the Baptist sent his disciples to Jesus Mm. to say, are you the Messiah or should we look for another? And what was Jesus' response? Go tell him what you're seeing. Yeah. He quotes Isaiah. Mm -hmm. Uh, He quotes the prophets. The sick are being healed. Liberty is being proclaimed to captives. The dead are being raised. I mean, he mm-hmm. just lists all these kind of... So um, I would posit where you see these things happening. Where do you see it? There is Christ. There's mm-hmm. the church alive. Uh, and I think that's what we should, as Christians, expect and hope for. Mm-hmm. That we are actually a prophetic people, which doesn't mean I'm telling you what's going to happen tomorrow, but I'm interpreting that God is present I'm interpreting his word present now in this moment, in this space. That's the prophetic mission. Um, that we are praying for healing. We talked about the prayers for healing through the Eucharist, that, that lives are being healed, that souls are being healed, but then that physically people might be being healed, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, dead rising. I haven't seen that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could say but, spiritually but spirit, dead. But spiritually dead happens in every confession, right? Mm-hmm. Or 
most confessions. And then in more dramatic cases, like we've got people who are, we got 40 people getting sacraments at Easter Vigil and Pentecost. I mean, and some of those lives are so radically different. I take things for granted, but I'm like, wow, that person knows they've been (laughs) saved. They were, they were headed for destruction. They were miserable and they've been, it's great. So that's what I got. Well, it's beautiful. And it really just renews my joy about what Jesus is doing in the world Mm. and the church, you know, body of Christ, Jesus alive, carrying out his mission. And um, so I'll continue to pray for that renewal and pray for the renewal in my own life, welcoming that Holy Spirit and then, um, and in my, you know, ministry. And just, I'm just grateful. Give thanks to God (laughs) because he loves the world and he's let us be a part of that, um, that presence that's healing and that's, um, giving freedom and sight and mercy and hope and a future and uh, you are the light of the world. So, um, yeah, I just think being a being a Christian, being a Catholic is really cool. And this has reminded me how we've, cool we've got it a is. Spirit that's alive. <laughs> Great. Any shout outs? Makes me aspire to greatness. Uh, aspire, inspire, and I'm gonna aspire. S- aspire. <laughs> shout outs. Um, I, my, my little sister had a baby uh, yesterday, and so I got a new niece named June, so that's as much as I'll say about it, but just to <laughs> celebrate. I, I've learned not to be too personal, because um, I haven't asked permission yeah. from my sister to make t- too much, you know, but super all is public. well, and I'm super excited, and you can all pray for June. Amen. Um, I think I shout out around Diaconate, uh, Deacon Mike Daly, but I'm going to shout out his wife, Megan Daly. Yeah, Megan. Um, saw her at the Lord's Gala, uh, Our Lady of Lord's Parish, no, school, the school gala, uh-huh. and uh, just chatted with her, and um, yeah, it was a great conversation, so shout out to, hey, hey. to her and the, the whole Daly family, the Daly kids. I got another shout out. Go for it. There's this priest who... Um, did, for the gala, he um, he built this triptych out of wood, <laughs> and then um, it was it was painted and just beautiful Marian image with two angels. And um, so, shout out to that guy. He's a really impressive guy <laughs> in every way. He's obviously an amazing artisan. He's um, a holy guy who can write icons like that. Just fantastic. And I think his name is Father Sean Conroy. So um, to Father Sean, wherever you are. Yes. Well, do you remember? I now I feel bad because it's the art teacher and I can't remember her name. She's the one who painted it. Why do you ask me that? Uh, I, I ruined it. I'm just going to edit that out and we'll see. Okay. <laughs> I can. Well, I just, I just wanted to say you gave Sean credit for the iconography and he did the woodworking. Which was incredible. Yeah, it's great. It's He's an artist. <laughs> Sorry, to, you're I, not going to give him all the. I, I'm not going to give him all the well, credit. Well, give him a shout out anyway. <laughs> it's true. The most beautiful part was the painting. So, um. so cheers and uh, God bless y'all. Thanks for listening. Hey, thanks for writing that thesis. Thank I mean, you. Uh, it's a gift to us. Uh, yeah. Bree Schultz. Bree, Bree oh, Schultz. Sorry, the Bree. artist Bree. Yes, of course. Also shouted, <laughs> wonderful trip to. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So. Cheers, God bless, Catholic Stuff uh, Podcast at gmail. Direct all questions about the Holy Spirit to one Deacon Jake Machado. Maybe. We'll see. (laughs) God bless. Take care.